You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net and the other garbage that's on this YouTube channel. It's not garbage, is it? It's wonderful. I should be pimping myself a bit more. Um... And I'm joined once again by my good friend, Chris Kasky. How are you doing, Chris? Good, Pete. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, you're fresh from a, another evening of horror movies, I believe. Yeah, it was a Stephen King night at the drive-in last night. It was uh, Tales from the Dark Side, which is a great short story horror film. Like, I love horror films like that, where it's like three mini horror films. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and Sleepwalkers, um, both films seem to have been unified by murderous cats in some way <laughs> in some way or another um, is there any other kind of cat i don't think so they're all beautiful murder machines in one way or another <laughs> but uh yeah it was good it was a good time and the nice cool fall weather made it particularly nice because the windshields weren't fogging up for a change so yeah it was a good <laughs> good evening but i'm tired as usual I can make a comment about what you're getting up to into your car, but uh, yeah, I'll uh, just I'll, just I'll... just just being fat and it's humid. <laughs> no, no, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no fun things going on in the car. So aside I feel your from pain, brother, I feel your pain. Aside from watching movies and eating party mix. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So uh, today's episode, I'm not going to say it's going to be a lean one, because every time we say that, we record for over two hours. Um, so, yeah. Today's episode will be following the usual format. We'll be kicking off with a discussion of the news in just a moment. Our second segment, we'll talk about what we've been playing recently, and I'll probably plug the other stuff on my YouTube channel like I normally do. Uh, and in our third segment, uh, we're going to have a, uh, our topic-based discussion. Today, we're going to be having a, a sort of casual discussion about classic Konami. So, look forward to that. Right, um, let's kick off with a bit of news. Um, I'll start with uh, just a a couple of sort of um, tangentially related stories. Um, One of which is sort of negative, one of which is positive. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the negative one because I'm sure other people on the internet are already doing that uh, in great detail. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) I'm I'm terrified to even sign on to any social media this morning. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah... um, Last night at the time of uh, recording, Exceed Games put out an announcement saying they were delaying the release of the new Senran Kagura game, which is the remake of the first game, Senran Kagura Burst Renewal, um, because they are removing the interactive intimacy mode from the PS4 version. Um, if you've not played one of these games, the intimacy mode is actually a relatively minor part of the game, but it allows you to sort of directly interact with the various cast members, so you can sort of poke and prod them and grab their tits and admire their physics as they jiggle around and stuff and the the vita versions if you um basically wanked off the screen their clothes would tear so it was it was a silly little thing but it was it was a way of sort of having a bit of direct interaction with the characters um and they are stripping it out of the ps4 version but they are leaving it in the steam version interestingly um which is going to launch simultaneously with the ps4 version rather than coming nearly a year later like previous installments um, and Exceed has specifically said that this is down to Sony. This is them respecting the wishes of the platform holder, in their words. So um, this is this is not them being prudes and wanting to chop out things because they think it's creepy or gross or whatever. Um, yeah, this is Sony saying, no, you can't do that. Um, 
Which is kind of interesting because in the last couple of console generations, sort of PS3, early PS4, Vita and so on, Sony has been the place to go if you want your games with uh, a bit of provocative, etchy content. Obviously, they've not gone into full-on 18-plus um, adults-only stuff, but yeah, the Vita in particular has been the place you, you, you went if you wanted to see that sort of experience. Um, and Nintendo has historically been regarded as... Uh, the more sort of center happy, if you like. So there are quite high profile edits to um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Xenoblade X, and I think the the fifth Fatal Frame game as well, Project Zero, uh, Maiden of Blackwater, uh, that people got very upset about. Most of the changes, to be honest, are not especially important, as this change in Senran Kaga isn't massively important either, because it's it's not part of the main game or the main story or anything like that. But um, with things like the the actual outright banning of uh, Omega Labyrinth Z a little while back, um, it's got people a bit concerned for how Sony is handling things going forward. Particularly Sony's Western branch, I should say. Sony Japan is absolutely fine. Sony Asia, who handles the Asia English releases, are absolutely fine as well. So um, I think going forward, we're probably going to see a lot more localization companies going the Asia English route uh, and people who want this kind of experience having to import through PlayAsia, uh, which works out a bit more expensive for those who want physical editions, but it does mean less likelihood of uh, things getting chopped out and everyone getting really angry about it. So <laughs> I was going to I was going to ask, hopefully we'll have a, a English language complete edition or whatever um from the asia region my other question on this is um you'll have to excuse me because the only center and Cogger game i've played seriously is the vita version of shinobi versus which yeah. is what two two back right so shinobi versus then it was estival versus right yeah so did the ps4 versions of shinobi versus and estival versus have the interaction mode Yes, yes, they, they, they did. So there's um, what it is, is it's part of the dressing room mode where you can yeah, yeah, yeah. dress up the characters and pose them and take photographs and stuff like that. And there's a special mode in that where you can, you sort of press a button and it kind of zooms in on the character. And on the Vita, you can use the touch screen to do things. On the PS4 version, you sort of use the analog sticks and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's always been there in the Sony versions. Um, I can't remember if it was in the 3DS games, uh, but it was it was definitely in the in the Vita and PS4 versions. So it's something that's always been there. It's yeah, that's, that's why it's odd to me then. If yeah, it's like like this was okay for one and two, but now it's not okay for three. Like it's yeah. very straight, very straight. And I mean, straight. it's it's in Peach Beach Splash as well, and in Peach Beach Splash you can do it in VR. So it's <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so so it seems very strange. Um, conjecture at the moment uh, is that it's something to do with sort of new policies that Sony's Western branches have got. I haven't oh. seen any sort of decisive evidence of this, uh, but uh, a couple of people have pointed out that sort of the the um, the Western arms of Sony used to actually be uh, sort of have their. Uh, sort of head honchos based in Tokyo and then sort of issuing commands out to the to the Western offices. Uh, but now it seems that a lot of that decision-making has passed to um, a Californian branch of Sony and some people are conjecturing that it's something to do with that. Like I say, I can't say for certain whether that actually is the case or not because I've not seen any specific evidence saying that, but it's, uh, it's, it's plausible because it seems like a... Uh, it, it seems like there has been some sort of internal policy change with regards to this. So I, I'm, Omega Labyrinth Z obviously 
also fell foul of the actual UK censors, the uh, the Video Standards Council, but at the same time, it didn't get released in America as well because Sony decided not to not to release it anywhere um, in English-speaking territory. So, yeah, they've definitely got something going on there. And at the same time, interestingly, people have pointed out that Nintendo are now a lot more willing to provide this sort of thing because not long ago we had the release of Senran Cargo Re- Reflections on there, which is basically nothing but the intimacy mode. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, this, it's this the game. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, no one really knows what's going on at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I would encourage any localizers to want look at switch ports because people want switch ports anyway. Um, I mean, yeah, put it on switch is a meme for a reason. And uh, two, to look at the Asia English market as well because I know there's there's several uh, several games that have come out with English language versions that have seen some success releasing exclusively in Asia and then people importing them. So I think the most recent one of those that uh, saw a decent amount of uh, sales was Bullet Girls Fantasia. Oh yeah, did that do well? Um, I haven't heard anything particularly negative about it, and the people who picked it up seem to have been enjoying it. So, yeah, I guess it's worked out for them. Um, and, yeah, no one has sort of said, oh, we're never doing that again. So hmm. I guess that's a good sign. Someone worked on that game that I really respect. It was, like, the dev- developer. That was someone that it, I was, like, surprised. It was the... Wasn't it the developers who made uh, Grandstream Saga? The ex-Quintet think- people. It was something like that, wasn't it? No, that's... Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is. It was a shade. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Shade, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I actually imported that a while back, but I'm yet to boot it up. So I will do that at some point and, and report back, I'm sure. It's, uh, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, that game. Anyway, on a related note to uh, that bad news, uh, we have some good news, which is that Steam has pretty much firmly established what its new content policy is, uh, because at the end of last week, uh, Evenical got released on Steam. And Evenical is a game that there is no way you would ever be able to do an edited all-ages version of, just because the sexual content is so integral to the story and the overall way that game works. Yeah, it is the full uncut version of that game on Steam, which is wonderful. Because one, it's a great game. Uh, Two, it's a sign that Steam is taking this sort of adult content on its platform seriously. Um, And three, it's a chance for Manga Gamer and Alice Soft to get exposed to a wider audience who might not have previously come across this game. So if you read MurrayGamer.net last month, you'll know I had lots of nice things to say about Evenical. It's a very good game. Great story, great characters, lovely art by Nan Yagashi of Senran Kagura fame. Um, and yeah, just to just to see it randomly pop up on Steam was surprising and delightful. So that's that's some good news. Yeah, I'm very excited about that too because um, you know just based on your positive words about it, like I'm very interested in playing that game. But I'm one of those guys who plays games on the computer. I'm hesitant to buy games that aren't on Steam or or yeah. GOG. Or GOG. I just I just don't like having games on my computer that aren't managed nicely by a front end yeah i just i mean i know i'm not a huge computer game guy and like people make fun of me for it but to me (laughs) just the the convenience of having that nice front end to manage my game collection and stuff nicely like that is it's huge so now that i can put it on a wish list maybe wait for a sale to happen and monitor that yeah like much more likely to pick that game up and play it now like a hundred times more likely 
Yeah. There's pros and cons to both approaches because, uh, well, I mean, previously you would go direct to the publisher if you wanted that uncut version. Uh, now things are coming on Steam. Obviously, you don't have to do that. You don't have to faff around with patches and stuff uh, as long as the publisher has put the uncut version on Steam, which some companies are still not doing because if you do put an adults-only version on Steam, it is locked behind the adult content filter that you have to specifically opt into. So um, that will probably affect certain games' discoverability. Uh, but... Yeah, like I say, there's pros and cons, um, because on Steam, a lot of stuff is locked into the Steam um, ecosystem, so some games that are released on Steam, they won't start if you don't have Steam in there, so that means you can't back them up onto a disc, make a physical version of them or whatever. That's not an issue on GOG.com, because they've always uh, positioned themselves as DRM-free, uh, even of course not on GOG, because they, they don't, actually don't have an adult content policy at the moment, despite introducing visual novels onto there in response to uh the steam who are a couple of months back um but then obviously if you buy stuff directly from the publisher you have to remember that you've bought it from their storefront remember where you've put it on your pc and so yeah yeah there's not really an easy solution of it it's not like the old days of the old computers where you just had a big disc full of uh, a big box full of floppy disks and you just pulled out what you wanted to play <laughs> yeah I just, um, with the presence on Steam, the likelihood of one of the, like a bundle company doing it. Yes, like, definitely. Like, like it's now like a hundred times more likely that maybe like in a year, um, Bundle Stars or probably not Humble because they probably wouldn't touch the adult stuff. But like one of the the other bundle companies might do an Alice Soft bundle. Mm, yeah. Like, like, like the ability to get like a couple Rands games and Eve Nickel for like fifteen bucks and actually like expose like loads of people to that for a reasonable price. That would be like huge. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just my but, imagination going over time, but like that would be great. It's it's perfectly plausible now because, like I say, Evenical is no less um, sort of adult in terms of content than Rants is. The, okay, the protagonist is a much nicer person than Rants is, but uh, yeah, the game itself is still full of violent scenes and rape and monsters and all sorts of things like that. So um, yeah, this this plausibly means that uh, future Rants games could end up on Steam as well, which is good because there's there's two currently being localized. And hopefully some more after that as well. So, yeah, this this will only be a good thing for um, Erige enthusiasts, Erige localizers, and uh, publishers as well. So, that's good to see. All right, um, I'll let you speak for a bit. What, what do you want to talk about? Oh, let's see. Hasn't been a super eventful two weeks. Um, cool little snippet, um, RE Dragon Quest X. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dragon Quest X being the MMO that the West never got. Yes. Um, there was recently an interview in a live stream with uh, Yu Miyake, who, uh, on the subject of Dragon Quest's state in the West, um, he is the executive producer of Dragon Quest current, currently, the, the franchise. Um, and he remarked that they are currently interested in looking into the possibility of an offline version of Dragon Quest X that may be able to be ported to the West. Yeah. Um, because Dragon Quest X, even though it's an MMO, is actually pretty story-heavy. Um, and many people have said that the, the story content and the characters are developed in such a way that despite it being an MMO, it's pretty indistinguishable from a normal RPG in a lot of ways. So yeah. apparently it would translate quite well to being an offline MMO. Um, those of you who've listened to this in the past know that offline MMO style games are super my jam. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the idea of having an 
offline MMO style Dragon Quest makes me pretty happy. So, um, you know, not really news, just a little snippet from an interview, but something to keep our hopes up about because for those of us who like to collect Dragon Quest, of which I am the no- among the number, and I know you are now, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, this would be incredible. So, fingers crossed this turns into something. Yeah, this was this was both surprising and interesting to see because um, not long before this news story broke, there was another news story that I think was largely based on misinterpretation of something someone said, to be honest, um, which was basically that um, someone from Square Enix said that Dragon Quest XI needed to do well in the West, otherwise we might not get any more. Um, except that's not exactly what he said that's what everyone interpreted the person is saying he basically just said something along the lines of we hope it does well in the west and everyone's, <laughs> and everyone's no, that that's a surprise. If, if you don't buy this game now we'll not bring you any more dragon quest ever um so yeah it, it was quite interesting to see uh, to see this story break not long after that previous one so but yeah I, i'm all for that i've watched a bit of gameplay of dragon quest 10 and uh, for, yeah from the look of things it looks very much like something that could work offline i mean there's there's already ai companions in it um it, there's a lot of story content um so yeah I, I i see no reason why that that couldn't work yeah it's um, always been always been a, a thorn in my side that i never got to play it just uh, as a fan of Toriyama's artwork, like a game, a character creator, Toriyama character creator, <laughs> like I like I, I want to get my hands on it. And there's cool, there's cool ogre like races, and there's like a, a fish people race, and they're cute, and I need it. Yes, that will be very cool indeed. All right, um, a few other things. Um, I can't remember if we mentioned this last time. I think it actually, the actual story came after we recorded our last podcast, but um, this is a couple of weeks old news now, but uh, Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2 are coming to PS4 um, in early 2019, and they're going to have dual audio, uh, which the none of the current versions have, uh, much to the annoyance of the most vocal parts of the falcon fan base here in the west but the yeah these can't wait for them to be quiet finally (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i yeah i no i'm just not gonna say anything (laughs) i don't care um, i'll make enemies (laughs) (laughs) but yeah trails of cold steel one and two are very very well regarded installments in that series um and yeah to see them coming to this will be now the fourth platform they've been on because they've been on vita ps3 pc and now ps4 so yeah that's great and it sounds as if these ps4 versions are going to basically be the definitive versions uh, i'm and then super hope- excited yeah i i just like one of those guys who loves to have like you like a series on a unified platform yes so like now like i'm operating under the assumption that one day we'll get three and four yeah so now just to have a big chunk on my shelf of one two three and four all on one platform uh, delightful yeah that, that will be great so that is a series I, I i need to tackle at some point but it's it's probably something i'm going to need to tackle like i've done dragon quest on the site because it's it's just too big to try and tackle even one of those games in a single month because oh they're massive each one of those games is at least sort of 100 hours to get through um and there's there's three trails in the sky games then there's currently two trails of cold steel games with hopefully two more on the way so yeah that's and they're all interconnected as well and then there's also the series that um 
um, the insufferable Falcon fans will never shut up about uh, not us not getting localizations of, which is the the Crossbell series as well, which is the the third part of this series that we haven't had any localization news of at all yet. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but uh, we'll see. Ooh, and there's a, there's also the original Gagar of trilogy on the PSP that everyone forgets exists. I know the localizations of those weren't sterling, but they mm-hmm. do exist. They do exist. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, a little while back, uh, Sega teased a new strategy game with characters designed by Koji Igarashi of Castlevania fame. Uh, so this game is called Revolve 8, Episodic Dueling. Um, we don't know a huge amount about it yet, but um, yeah, so... There's footage uh, now. Oh, is there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just like a MOBA on mobile, so like I want nothing to do with it. But oh, okay, some, some of the Some of the character design's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, so it's got it's got people who worked on uh, Yakuza, um, the Shin Megami Tensei mobile game, and Fate Grand Order on there as well. So yeah, it's got some good um, talent behind the art, the art and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, if it's if it's just a mobile MOBA, then yeah, pretty not much too so. interested. That's a shame. They're, they're going an interesting route with the characters, where um, they're like taking like classic like fairy tale characters like cinderella and like whatever and then like and then putting like a modern twist on them right so like cinderella is an idol and the fairy godmother is her manager like (laughs) like like everything has like a modern like a modern celebrity like social media like twist to it yeah um, so it's kind of cool how they're like reimagining those characters. It's the kind of thing where like I'll read the news just to see like the the interesting character designs and stuff, but I really really don't have a desire to play it. Yeah. Alrighty. Okay. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, Tokyo Games last time, which is the sort of collaborative effort between people who worked on Danganronpa and the Zero Escape series. Um, they've revealed a few more details about one of the four projects they're working on, uh, which is called Death March Club. Uh, which is the one that was the described as a children's death <laughs> game. <laughs> um, so this is described as a controversial work where a death game unfolds between 12-year-old elementary school students, uh, and the game's going to have action and adventure parts. So um, it sounds like it might be something along the lines of that Danganronpa spin-off game, Ultra Despair Girls, um, which I, I haven't played, but I know a lot of people enjoyed. Um, so um, Kodaka yeah. said... Kodaka said that he was he was taking a break from Danganronpa um, and he was wondering if it was enough death games but Uchikoshi said he wanted to do another one so they decided to do another one um, <laughs> he said this is going to be his last death game then he's done with death games <laughs> yeah what if he I'll does a full 360 and his next games are like affirmation of life games <laughs> <laughs> just like visual novels about like cuddling puppies and like the hardest decision you have to make is like do you cuddle the corgi or the shiba inu <laughs> yeah i'll uh, i'll believe it when i see it but yeah so so there's uh, a few more details on that there's been like a, a feature on it in uh, i think it was famitsu um so if you check uh, gimatsu i've got some scans of that so check that out if you want to see a few more images and so on this was really cool news for me because out of all the games that they had kind of announced and shared about um you know when the original news was shared about the studio forming i found the art for the like the flash art images for this particular game really arresting i really like the art style like the characters it's yeah so, it's got a really distinctive art style hasn't it it's got sort of it's got sort of pastel colors combined with darkness so it's a really really striking look yeah so like the news that this was also going to be a side scroller Mm. like means that i will 
actually be interested in playing it. Like it's so it's super super cool. Yeah, yeah, interested to see how that ends up. All right, uh, what else have we got? Some of the release dates. Um, yeah. Left Alive, which is Squaresoft's new game set in the Front Mission universe with the kind oh, yeah, of mili- yeah. military espionage setting, mm-hmm. is coming to the West on March 5th, 2019. Um, there's going to be a huge collector's edition that includes a really detailed action figure of one of the giant robots that I'll be fighting with myself about ordering. <laughs> Um, we also have release date now for uh, Tetris Effect. Oh which yes, I-, I am very excited about because we've also been confirmed to be getting a physical edition. Hooray! Uh, Tetris Effect is, of course, the uh, new version of Tetris for PS4 with VR capability um, that is being done by the genius behind Res. Um, so, if you've never seen the footage, it is absolutely beautiful and trippy, and there's neon lights everywhere, and it's gonna be delightful. Yeah, this is gonna be exciting to try in VR because like really abstract stuff works wonderfully in VR. There's um, the the Jeff Minter game Polybius that I, is probably my favorite PSVR game. Uh, that's so abstract and just sort of the weird patterns and stuff floating around you just works so well in that environment. So yeah, looking forward to this. The only experience I've had with VR that I haven't hated was Res. Mm-hmm. It was the PS4 version of Res. Specifically the special stage it was designed with VR in mind. It was yes. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this will definitely be one to, to try out. Mm-hmm. Um, talking of VR, uh, PlayStation Europe announced today that on the 14th of December there's going to be a VR version of Borderlands 2. That's cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting because that's like... Um, yeah, that's. I don't, I don't want to use the word proper game, but uh, you know, it's it, it's an established game that they are uh, sort of bringing to VR, and it sounds as if they've made some specific attempts to incorporate VR specific uh, functionality to it as well. So they've implemented this feature called uh, Bamf Time, which is badass mega fun time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Um, and it's, it's it's basically a take on bullet time, but it it, it means that you can sort of dodge bullets uh, and use use your skills in a way that's a bit more practical with the sort of increased physicality of playing it in VR. So uh, they've modified a lot of the special abilities and skill trees to add in this Banff time stuff um, and make it a bit more practical. Neat. Um, they appear to have uh, taken out the multiplayer mode, uh, which is, to be honest, fine by me because I... I I actually fairly rarely played Borderlands multiplayer anyway. Um, but yeah, the VR game is specifically going to be designed as a single-player experience. Uh, so they've updated a bunch of skills that previously relied on you having a co-op partner to um, to, to work in a more single-player context. Interesting. Uh, and you'll also be able to drive vehicles from a first-person perspective now uh, and aim the vehicle's guns by looking in that direction. So that's similar to the way uh, Super Stardust VR mode does stuff. That's quite a quite a natural way of uh, handling the aiming function in a sort of vehicle based game so that's going to be interesting um so that's the 14th of december that's coming out oh, it's um, not long at all yeah not at all um it sounds as if it's going to be a separate release rather than an update to the handsome collection i think so you 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 you'll have to you'll have to buy it again but yeah it sounds like they're putting in a fair amount of um of work to that to uh, to get it uh, up and running this is particularly interesting to me because part of the issue I have with 
the PSVR specifically is that the resolution is just so low uh-huh. that I, f- I find games that attempt to have a more realistic look, I just find the illusion totally shattered by the fuzz, yeah. by the fuzz everywhere. Yeah. So I particularly like the Borderlands series, obviously, for its unique visual presentation. So to have that cell shaded presentation in VR where perhaps the lower resolution won't matter as much because it is a more comicized, colorful, mm-hmm. and stylized presentation should be a pretty big victory. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be good. Okay, a couple of other little things. Uh, Special Reserves have announced that they are doing a physical version of Enter the Gungeon for PS4 on November the 13th. Uh, it looks like they're doing quite a nice sort of special edition of it as well. So rather than just a, a straight physical release, there's going to be like a, a fancy box set and so on. Um, someone actually leaked it a day early, so they haven't released the full details yet. But um, yeah, that's that's the thing that's happening. Yeah, um, I've been excited for this for a while. I've been wrestling with it for <laughs> for a while, whether or not I want to rebuy this game. Because I really believe this is one of the best games in like recent history. I know we talked about it quite a bit Yeah, in our physical copies please episode and <laughs> the, the the book that comes with it the copy of ammo namakon that they're printing <laughs> is absolutely gorgeous yeah yep so that's definitely one to watch out for if you enjoyed that that is a really good game uh, and last thing i wanted to mention is actually something i spotted just before we started recording which is a uh, a game that's being published by dangan entertainment on steam uh, it's called devil engine um it's not due out until winter of this year, but they've just released a demo version of it. Uh, and this is a shoot 'em up, uh, specifically designed to uh, be 32-bit pixel art style. Uh, and I, f- I fired up the demo just before we were recording here. Oh my god, it's beautiful! <laughs> I downloaded the demo as soon as I saw you posting a link, so I'll check it out this afternoon. But the video yeah. footage, I, yeah, yes, please. Oh, it's it's delightful. Um, yeah, it, it it looks wonderful. So it's. It, yeah, they've, they've nailed that sort of 32-bit pixel art look. So it's sort of slightly higher resolution than what you typically expect from uh, indie devs doing fake pixel art. Uh, but it's it's still got those lovely sharp edges and so on. Uh, it's got a soundtrack by... Um, let me try not to butcher this name. It's Hyakutaro Tsukamo, who has previously worked on a number of the Thunder Force games, among other things. Oh, no way! Yeah. Oh, Thunder Force games got good music! Yeah, so so he's he's doing that. He's he's also worked on a few other things as well. He's worked on uh, Sina Rukana, which is the sequel to Aselia the Eternal, which uh, is uh, only I will be excited about. But you know, <laughs> um, he's also done some stuff for Alice Soft as well. Interestingly, he did some of the soundtrack for Beatblade's Haruka as well, which is uh, not a game I'm familiar with, but it's it's actually an, the first Alice Soft game that Manga Gamer localized before they did Rants. Uh, so he did the soundtrack for that. Uh, and he, he's done all sorts of things so uh, look him up on uh, vgmdb.net um, if you want to see he's got a pretty extensive discography that goes right back into the 90s so yeah that's all the news i wanted to talk about anything else you wanted to bring up uh just two little mentions before we wrap things up um what's up monolith soft recruiting staff for a new rpg by the xenoblade team Ooh. so yippee um <laughs> Uh, Takahashi shared a message um, that the recruitment is looking to really get like elite people together. Um, yeah. This is the, the this is Monolith's quote unquote first production team where their mm-hmm. motto is the select few, right? Like the best of yeah. the best. Um, so they're looking for programmers, map planners, technical artists, 
uh, designers and uh, overall management staff. So they're, it sounds like they're really beefing up to make something new. Um, so huzzah, because more Monolith Soft is good for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's really exciting because, like, if they can if they can put out something like these Xenoblade games with sort of working at a, what uh, what they seem to be implying is a fraction of their full power. <laughs> Yeah, just imagine I mean, what's... Uh... When you consider what Monolith Soft does, it's really quite amazing, because part of their staff also helped make uh, Breath of the Wild while they were making Xenoblade 2. Yes. Like, everyone forgets that, like, Monolith Soft basically developed Breath of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's basically a Xenoblade game. So, that's cool, because they're, they're, quite, they're quite an amazing studio, and their history is quite amazing, if you ever have a chance to research it. Um, I also just wanted to, again, take some time today to plug uh, Pixel Art Studios Bushiden on Kickstarter. Oh, yes, um, so they introduced a new character, didn't they, as well? It, well, well, that's a, uh, yeah, if, if they hit $100,000, um, you get to be the main character's cute girl sister. Um, they're going to make a second playable character if they hit $100,000. It's unlikely that'll happen. There's only about 13 days left and they haven't hit their original 70,000 goal yet. So at this point, I'm just urging people to please throw five bucks their way so they can at least hit the 70,000 goal. Um, as of the last time I talked about it on our previous episode, they have added a physical Switch copy tier. Nice. Um, so, you know, um, I'm in on that. <laughs> uh, but please, uh, Bushiden on Kickstarter by Pixel Arc Studios. Please give them five bucks so that they can make this game exist because it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it does look absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, I'd love to see that happen as well. I, I haven't chipped them any money yet, but because uh, I just threw some money at um, at Venus Blood Frontier, which I talked a bit about last time. Yes, so. yes, that looks good too. Yes. Um, so yeah, do do support that if you want to see more of that kind of thing. Okay, anything else you want to mention? Nope, that's what I got. Wonderful stuff. All right, let's take a short break then, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently. So, see you in a moment. Welcome back. So, for our second segment, we talk about what we've been playing recently. Um, would you like to go first, Chris? Um, I'm ashamed to say I haven't been playing that much, but but I, I, I did manage to wrap up my pure pacifist run in Undertale last oh, weekend, yes. um, which was delightful. Um, the game just continues to surprise and amaze me um, in ways I'm not expecting. Um, I can't ruin anything for anyone, so I won't go into too much detail, but... Um, I am very much a fan of um, kind of uh, metatextual games or postmodern games um, mm -hmm. to the point where it's something I've been very heavily considering writing a book about in the near future. Um, yeah. Basically, game, games that are about games, uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, like in the way that like Yoko Taro's games like to explore genre hybridity and stuff like that. And uh, Undertale's ability to explore um, interactivity. To, to toy with your emotions in, in unique ways is really something super unique, and I recommend everybody experience it. It's it's quite amazing. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. The sort of uh, metatextual thing seems to sort of be becoming a bit fashionable again because we, we've seen a few things trying to do things like that. So obviously, a little while back we had um, 
Doki Doki Literature Club, which is sure. the same for the visual novel genre. Uh, I just recently watched a uh, a playthrough on Pro Jared's uh, Let's Play channel of a game called Bummer Town that was basically about a dude who was aware he was the main character in the game, and the game was broken and buggy and so on, and different different developers seem to handle this more effectively than others i I tend to find it works best when um it's sort of it it, it's sort of not sort of thrusting the metatextual aspect right in the player's face and saying look look aren't we clever we're doing so many clever things with this um which which a lot of uh, a lot of developers are still struggling a little bit with like this this bummer town one was just a little bit too on the nose with the sort of ironic humor and such like but um yeah other stuff has been pretty good uh, doki doki literature club's become a bit of a meme ever since but uh certainly when it was uh, when it was first available and no one knew about it quite a lot like undertale in fact it was um it was very effective so are you familiar yeah. with uh penny arcades like visual novel video series they do no. Yeah, it's like Penny Arcade's been doing this thing recently where they like pick a visual novel because they discovered that like it was a genre that was gaining like popularity now in the popular market that they were kind of unfamiliar with. It's like you know the Penny mm-hmm. Ar- the Penny Arcade guys are good guys, and they were like, let's familiarize ourselves more with this up you know with the genre we don't know much about. So they do. Um, they play visual novels together on their Twitch screen stream like socially and like do like yeah. li- and like do live readings. Okay. (laughs) Like, they do, like, you know, like, one of them, like, they'll pick characters, and they do, like, live readings of visual novels. So, like, they did, they did, like, Doki Doki Literature Club recently, and I, and I think they did the, the one where you're, like, you, like, try to bag dads. Oh, yeah, Dream Daddy, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's kind of cool, like, to the point where Doki Doki Literature Club has become kind of popular enough that like an outlet as large as penny arcade is interested in exploring it i thought that was yeah. really interesting people have kind of mixed feelings about that because on the one hand it's cool that there's there's lots of western developers who are who are trying a bit more on this but there's I, i've seen a few discussions about this recently is western developers are really bad at doing a sincere visual novel they're yeah. very very bad at taking it seriously like pretty much every one of those uh, examples that we've cited there they're, they're all like super ironic and it's like hey it's a game where you get to date gay dads and it's like all a big joke whereas um if you if you sort of look at the um the sort of classics of the genre if you want to say they 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 play it straight they they, they are there to oh, tell sure. a story. They, they are not there to sort of uh try and be self-aware about the fact they're visual novels and stuff like that and there's a there's a place for both things but i think um a lot of western developers need to kind of work on that sincerity factor if they want to sort of continue and be regarded on the same level as, as some of the more well-established classics yeah. i think so um so yeah it's it's good that they're they're gaining in popularity certainly yeah, so going going back to the idea of kind of sincerity and you know, not being beat over the head with metatextuality, um, I find Undertale being an example of a game that does it extremely well um, because they've done it in the best possible way, um, which is that they've tied the metatextuality cleverly into the narrative. Yeah. So, like, the you know, a lot of the metatextual uh, mechanical stuff that happens in the game is kind of related to cycles of life and death and like the idea that you've been here before you may have Mm -hmm. died you may have died before um yeah so that's all been tied into the mythology of the world the things that are going on around you in the story um so it's it's not done in a way that it's saying hey looky here look how clever we are it's just a natural part of the narrative that you experience yeah 
yeah that for me is the ideal way of doing it it's it, it's obviously making references to things and allowing you to make those connections in your mind but it's it's not beating you over the head with it it's not making those things explicit you have to actually interpret them for yourself and that's always much more satisfying yeah like one of my favorite things like, an example i'll give that's not like too spoilery because it doesn't have anything to do with the story is uh, one of the last bosses um you know one of the things with undertale is um you have besides like in your normal attack item use you have a uh a command where you can interact with the monsters and that's the way you achieve a peaceful resolution and uh, those commands will change contextually based on the monster you're fighting mm -hmm. um and for one of the last bosses there's a talk just talk command because you're trying to beg for mercy because he wants to kill you and um if you use the talk command with this boss it says um you know you you talk to um and i won't even say the boss's name because that's a spoiler but you mm -hmm. talk you talk to so and so um you tell them that he has killed you once before and then he nods and then there's usually there's a there's an adjective after that like he nods knowingly um depending on how many times you've lost to that boss that adjective changes all right so like if you've lost to him i think it's 12 times or more like it becomes like he nods with pity like it starts off with like he nods knowingly, then it like like he, he nods and looks sad, and then like the la and then like the last tear is like he nods with pity. Like so, like, it's little stuff like that that isn't yeah. huge, but really enhances the way you're thinking about your interaction with the game itself, and not just the narrative contained within. Very oh, very cool. very cool game. Cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. It, like I say, it's it's one that's on my radar and. Um, as we've talked about previously, now the hype is died down a little bit. It's something I can come to a bit more objectively and judge for myself. So, yeah, looking forward to giving that a try at some point. All right, you've been playing anything else? Uh, just Mega Man 11. Oh, yeah. That's, um, let's hear it. Which the less I talk about, the better, because it's hard as balls. And, <laughs> and, I, and I haven't beaten a single level yet. Oh, my God. And more than that, I haven't encountered a single robot master yet i haven't gotten far enough in a single level to fight a robot master yet <laughs> reminds me of a video i recorded the other day on the atari st version of ghouls and ghosts where i couldn't get oh, even halfway through the first level it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's tough and like uh, i'm a mega man guy like my whole life it, this is really tough mega man this isn't mega man for mega man like buffs it's not fooling around like most of the levels have mini bosses which is not normal for mega man yeah. and the checkpoints are pretty sparse and everything hits hard like they really made a game for mega man diehards here mm -hmm. uh, to the point where i'm thinking of doing an easy mode run which is not something i normally do i usually like to experience a game on normal because to me that's the balance difficulty that it was designed with yeah but i might have to do an easy mode run just to see everything because at, like i said at this point i've had it for over a week and i haven't even gotten to a boss of a single level yet yeah i know there's this sort of weird elitism about easy mode but um i think in games that are specifically designed to be uh challenging and based on things like memorization and stuff I, I don't think there's any shame in going down to easy mode like i i play a lot of shoot 'em ups on easy mode because it allows you to get to know the game and then once you're familiar and you can clear it um sort of fairly reliably on the easy mode you can then sort of graduate up to the higher difficulty levels mm -hmm. I, I think that a lot more so than like a 50 hour open world epic where the hard mode is just everything hits harder and has more hit points <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what's nice I, about I, the I, longer games too is um usually the difficulty on like rpgs is um flexible like it's just a menu yes. change you can kind of turn it on and off yeah 
yeah that's one thing i'm uh, interested to explore in um uh, xenoblade 2 when i when i go back to it to look at tauna and so on because they've added that whole dynamic difficulty options menu where you can sort of tweak everything about the way the game oh, works that was the best part about bravely default mm. yeah that's cool anything more to say about that no, I, w- I wish I had more to say, <laughs> but I have not experienced enough of it. Um, well, it's it, it. I mean, it's beautiful. It's great. They've done a really good job of translating the feel and the aesthetic of classic Mega Man to the 3D plane. I'm really delighted with the presentation of it. The new Robot Masters are all designed really cool. Um, I wish I could say whether or not it was cool to fight them. I just think <laughs> I just think the designs are neat. But so far, I'm really happy with the game. Just disappointed at how old and crappy i am at it <laughs> you'll you'll get it back eventually i'm sure we'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear more about your suffering in the coming weeks okay all right I'll, I'll, i've got a few things to talk about uh this week so i'll start with um a uh, a package from uh, limited run games finally arrived this week so it had the vita version of uh, va11 hall a valhalla uh, which I, I haven't opened up yet because I played the PC version to death, but I probably will return to the Vita version at some point because I, I know they've added a bit of content since I played it for the first time. Uh, but the other game I got in that package was a game called uh, Xenon Valkyrie Plus. Oh yeah, how is that? It's really fun. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, this is a game originally by a developer called Diabolical Mind. Who? Hold on. There's actually a manual in this game box, believe it or not. Oh yeah, Limited uh, Run the, doesn't fool around. Yeah, it tells you a little bit about the game. So the original developer is a guy called Daniel Fernandez Chavez, uh, who is Spanish. Uh, and then this guy called Fabrice Breton from um, a little one-man show called Cowcat Games is uh, taking it upon himself to do enhanced versions of um, this um, his Spanish developer's games. So the previous game he did was Riddled Corpses, uh, which was a, a twin-stick shooter with sort of zombies. And oh, you quite like that too, right? Yeah, that was that was really fun. Uh, and in fact, that's 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 what inspired me to pick up this limited run game in the first place because I, I hadn't heard of the game before that. But um, yeah, so Xenon Valkyrie is um, it's a platform game with sort of roguelike elements, which I know is sort of done to death these days, but. Um, I really like the way this handles things because it's it's not trying to play too hard on the kind of Metroidvania approach. Uh, it's it, probably the closest comparison I can think of is the the original Spelunky. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so sort but of more before, like short runs. Yeah. So so sort of before the uh, be, before they did the enhanced version of Spelunky with the with the better graphics and stuff like when it was still a, a pixel art freeware game. Um, it reminds me very much of that, only with a sort of gorgeous sci-fi twist. Uh, the graphics in it are beautiful, so it's it's got a, a kind of 16-bit look to it. So it's got quite big pixels and reasonably limited use of color, but more than you'd get in a kind of 8-bit inspired game. Uh, it's got a chiptune soundtrack, and the levels are designed in such a way that. Um, you can sort of see the whole layout of them from the beginning so you have a little mini map in the corner and the the aim in each is basically get from the top to the bottom um so there's no sort of metroidvania style exploration between rooms and stuff it's sort of one self-contained square level that you start at the top and you have to work your way down to the bottom of um and along the way it, it actually incorporates a surprising number of elements from more traditional roguelikes so it's got the the idea that rather than rushing down to the bottom you should try and take out as many enemies as possible on the way because it's got a leveling system 
Um, and the leveling system is not something that levels you up automatically, but every level you gain, you gain a talent point. So between levels, you can spend those on increasing your hit points, your attack, your maximum ammunition, or your defense. Um, so you can you can kind of create a custom character build as you progress through the game. It's fine. Um, and then it's also got destructible scenery as well. So uh, much like in the most traditional roguelikes, you can actually dig the walls, dig out the walls, and create your own passageways and stuff. Uh, you can blow up walls in this and create your own pathways down to things that might otherwise be inaccessible or difficult to get to. Um, there's there's three different characters to play from the outset. I'm not sure if there's extra unlockable ones, but there's, there's definitely three to start with, and they've each got their own unique capabilities. Uh, so you, the default character, who's um, sort of a, a, a cute sci-fi girl with white hair, she's got um, an energy sword and a laser pistol, and she can uh, stick time bombs onto walls and ceilings. Uh, so those can be used to uh, create new pathways and such like. Uh, there's this weird sort of bugman character who his special ability is that he can, he can jump really high. So rather than being able to actually blow up balls in this, he can access different areas just by being a lot more mobile than the other two characters. Uh, and then the third character, her special ability is she's got a, a radar so that you can see on the minimap exactly where things like the treasure chests and the items and stuff are. So you can plan out where you need to go uh, from there. And yeah, it just it just plays really nicely. So it's it's got nice responsive controls. Um, it's designed in such a way that um, in each level, there's there's different types of enemies, and you can learn to recognise their behaviours. And as you get to the different worlds in the game, uh, the different types of enemies are um, they're almost like reskins of these these basic behaviours. So you've got ones that wander back and forth and shoot at you. You've got ones that explode when you defeat them. You've got ones that will get uh, get knocked back and bounce around when you hit them, and so on. So as you progress through the game it's a case of learning to recognize how each of these different enemies are going to behave and how best to deal with them so because you've got access to both this this melee attack with um a sword of some description and a ranged attack which has got limited ammunition um and yeah yeah i've, I've been really really enjoying it so far uh I've, i'm up to the the third world so far i'm not sure how many there are in total but i'm up to the the third world so there's two stages in each world so it doesn't outstay its welcome uh, you have a, a boss um, at the end of each world, and there seems to be maybe two different possibilities for what each boss is at the end of oh, each cool. world. Um, and then uh, if you reach, if you defeat a boss and have the right combination of resources in your inventory, so the right amount of currency, uh, the right amount of this stuff called, um, it's, it's called Team Right or something like that, the, the sort of like the major currency in the game, Um and uh, a key which you would normally use to open treasure chests and get new weapons then you can unlock a teleporter and that means that once you've done that you can then start from that stage in subsequent playthroughs if you want to oh, you don't okay. have you don't have to um and uh obviously going from the beginning allows you to take your time a bit more and level up a bit more but if you start from the later stages it gives you a certain amount of free talent points so you're not starting from later in the game but with less capabilities uh, but if you do go from the beginning, you, you'll have the potential to, to earn more of those talent points. So, for example, by the time I reached the second world playing from the beginning, I can be about maybe level 10 or 11 or so. If you go via the teleporter, it gives you five talent points. So it's as if you gained five levels on the way down. So you won't be as effective, but there's enough points there to buff yourself up a little bit, at least. Um, yeah, it's also yeah. a way to introduce challenge, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
yeah so it seems to be a, a really well designed game so far that I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with uh each run is um it's not super short so it's not something that will kill you off immediately uh but each run is, is short enough that you can boot it up have a quick playthrough and just enjoy yourself or you can spend a few hours with it if you want to which is uh, which is great and that sounds um, really good yeah so i've been having a lot of fun with that not sure why i passed on this one probably just you can't own every video game. It's probably just a money thing. You know? Exactly. It's the only exactly. problem with limited run, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got to make a pretty snap decision. Yes, and especially when you bear in mind their shipping costs to Europe. Ugh. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but anyway, what else have I been playing? Um, I played a really fun uh, visual novel this week called uh, Lucy Got Problems, which I enjoyed a whole lot. Uh, this is a game about a succubus who is not very good at being a succubus. Uh, which is my favorite kind of devil girl is a devil girl who's not very good at being a devil um <laughs> what's her and, name from gabriel dropout my favorite yeah satania yeah there's, there's an android of her now i'm dying oh great so uh, so the concept of lucy got problems is she's been dispatched by the legion of darkness and uh, her mistress tiamat who she's uh, obsessed with because tiamat's hot um but yeah she she finds herself in a forest and because she wasn't listening during the mission briefing she has no idea what she's supposed to be doing or why she's there um and so over the course of the story you have to try and sort of help her remember what she's supposed to be doing and either accomplish the mission or um just go off in a completely different direction and what i really liked about this is um a lot of um developers of these sort of low budget visual novels tend to just take a straight kinetic approach so there's no choices and so on they've really made an effort with the branching structure of this one because it's got a really complicated tree of choices and so on so it doesn't take you down discrete routes what it does is it takes you to uh, different scenes will happen in the story regardless but the context from which you approach those scenes can be different depending on the choices you made so sometimes you come to a situation and lucy will understand what's going on because she's learned something earlier in the narrative that is to do with that and in another playthrough, you would have gone in a completely different direction, and she has no idea what is happening just because she she, she has no context for uh, this stuff that's going on, and that makes um, the different routes through the story really really interesting. Um, there's, I would like yeah. to interrupt you just for a moment to note for our listeners that the developer of this particular title is Flat Chest Dev. Yes. That is the name of the developer of this yes. particular game. Yes. Con- please continue. <laughs> yes. They have a lovely logo as well, which is a little cat girl hiding in a treasure chest. <laughs> um, yeah, this game is anything but flat-chested. There is a lot of boob action in this. There is uh, the uh, the new Jiggly Boobs mechanic from the latest version of Ren P as well. Um, so enjoy that. <laughs> Uh, there is a there is a free uncensor patch as well. It's not particularly sex heavy or anything, but there are a few uh, dirty scenes in it, as you'd expect from a game starring a succubus. Um, but yeah, it's just a really fun, silly story that has uh, demon girls and elves in it. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, one, have a read through of my uh, look at it on Mario Gamer this week, and two, pick it up because it's not very expensive either. All right, uh, what else? There's also got? a demo. Oh yes, yes, there is a demo. So yeah. Uh, do do check that out it'll give you an idea of whether it's the sort of thing you're into actually one thing i uh, one thing i do want to mention about that as well is that they've they've it, it's not a gameplay centric game by any means it's not trying to be a role-playing game or anything but they have made a specific effort to add 
some gameplay elements into it so like there's a sequence part way through the game where you have to you have to find stuff so there's a little point and click sequence where you can freely move between locations and you have to find objects on the screen and so on but during that sequence there is also a button that basically just says screw it i'm going to cheat and so you can skip it altogether. and again making that choice affects part of the story as well so yeah so that's well worth checking out and i hope we see a lot more of lucy in the future because she's a really really fun character um and finally i think for today um i probably better mention this month's uh, cover game series on the site which is project zero also known as fatal frame in the states and just zero in japan so this is uh survival horror with ghosts and a camera rather than zombies and guns um i've actually sort of um been meaning to come back to this series for a long time so people who have uh, followed what i've been doing on the internet for a long time will know that um i used to be part of a group of people who wrote about and did podcasts on games called the squadron of shame we had our roots on the one-up boards and one of the earlier games we did even before we did the podcast um for the squadron of shame was the the first project zero the original fatal frame and we were looking at this back when it was um reasonably current so when when the ps2 was still a, a current thing so god that was nearly 20 years ago now that's frightening um yeah so I, i've been meaning to come back to this series ever since then because during that initial playthrough i got most of the way through the game and then for whatever reason didn't finish it so i've never known how it ended uh, and i i beat it this week so it only took me nearly 20 years to do that but i finally beaten <laughs> the first project zero um which is a, a, a really cool game. You say you're not you're, you're not you're not overly familiar with the series, are you? No, I'm f- fond of us. Actually, uh, <laughs> I, I don't like I don't like them. Uh, but I don't I don't like survival hard games in general. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, I find them boring. Mm-hmm. So a survival horror game with no guns is even more boring to me. Like, I just I just find <laughs> these games to be like a major snore fest, which sucks because I love Japanese culture, obviously, and I love Japanese ghost stories and Japanese horror specifically. So it's difficult for me to reconcile the fact that I really love the like the setting and the urban legends and stuff that these titles are attempting to tap into, which is why mm-hmm. I keep trying them, but I always bounce off them because I just find the core gameplay to be quite boring yeah fair enough um i i quite like the way project zero plays because the 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 camera mechanics i find quite interesting so it's, it's not just sort of pointing various grades of weapons at, at things and shooting so there's there's an element of skill and targeting and that sort of thing in there and there's lots of different types of skill shots you can do that earn more points uh when you finish the game there's a battle mode unlocks that sort of really challenges you to earn as many points as possible with these um with these camera shots and so on and um yeah i just really like that nice interesting uh non-gun based twist on side of things uh, as as you've mentioned your mileage may vary with that but uh, yeah i i really like it um the first project zero um is they keep the narrative side of things relatively light um and so it's mostly based on exploration and finding your way from different parts of the house to the other um but there is an ongoing story in the background but it's it is kept reasonably subtle as the series has progressed from what i understand i haven't played any of the others yet i'm working on that um they kind of up the ante with the with the narrative side of things a bit more um particularly with the the remake of the second one for the wii version which is the one i'm going to be playing and covering next 
so i'm interested to see how that develops i i, I know it's it's one of those series that among survival horror fans um they like it a lot and it's but it's one that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as stuff like silent hill and resident evil so that's the main reason i wanted to cover it this month and also it's october so you have to be all spoopy mm-hmm. um but yeah, so that is um, we've kicked off our coverage of, of that on MarioGamer.net this month. Um, a little bit late because Evenical took a little bit longer to beat than I thought it was going to, but uh, that that is all done and dusted now. Um, so watch out for reports on those as the month goes on. I'm going to try and do all five of the games if possible. Um, they're, they're quite short, each of them. They're sort of like six to eight hours each, um, not taking into account the extra content that unlocks and replays and such like. Um, the fourth one is a Japan-only release for the Wii, but there is uh, quite a well-known, well-established fan translation patch for it. So if my copy of that arrives in time, uh, I ordered one in uh, Japan uh, from ebay a little while back but that is coming from japan so it's anyone's guess as to when that might arrive if it arrives on time so there's one on the d on the 3ds too isn't there or am i making that up no there's like a sort of spin-off game on 3ds i'm, I'm not gonna have time to look into that one this uh, this this time but it's it's a sort of spin-off that ties in with the fifth one i think oh that um, makes sense yeah uh but th- th- that is a completely separate thing there was also a mobile phone game um from the sort of pre-smartphone era as well that had its own story and so on so it's a series that's been running for quite a long time and across several different platforms but uh yeah i will do my best to get through it as much as possible in this month um having a lot of fun with that so far and obligatory plug of other stuff that is happening on my youtube channel uh, at the moment so we have the atari a to z series which uh, i've just recorded like 10 new videos for that so i've forgotten exactly where we are in terms of the ones that have been released so let me just check that <sighs> right uh, so currently in atari 8-bit games i've just covered a game called Henri, which is a shameless mr do ripoff by a guy called adam billiard who uh, went on to create some very well-established uh, and well-known Atari 8-bit games called Electroglide and Chop Suey. Uh, Henri's a bit crap, to be honest, but, you know, it's all right. Legend has it. <laughs> Legend has it. Uh, is He kind of shat this game out in a couple of weeks so he could pay for a plane ticket. So it kind of shows. It's it, well, no, it's it's not crap, but it's, it's not up to the standard of the stuff he produced later. Let's put it that way. I wish we still lived in an age where you could crap a game out in a few <laughs> weeks to play for a plane. It's like, that's, ins- that's insane to me yeah. that there's so many stories of these old games like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Like, here's um, a commercial product yeah. like I produced in several days. Yeah. Please buy it. I need to get home. <laughs> yeah, you just turn to Kickstarter and Indiegogo for that now, don't you? Yeah, right. but then your game still takes two years to make. That's true. Yeah. Uh, other stuff uh, at the Atari ST side of things, I've just covered a game called Chase by Mastertronic, uh, which was developed by a chap called uh, Tony Barker, who uh, one of my YouTube commenters seems to uh, think is a, a coding genius, to be expect, uh, to be to quote them. I haven't come across them uh, to my knowledge anyway, but um, Chase is a cool sort of vector graphics uh, arcade style game that's obviously heavily inspired by the Star Wars arcade machine. It's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a cool game. I mean, it's a, it's a really simple game. You don't do much more than dodge things and shoot stuff, but sometimes that's all you want. Um, that's mostly what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and this this was a budget price release as well so it wasn't anything that was sort of expecting you to pay 20 quid for something that you'd, you'd have a quick blast on for five minutes so mastertronic were sort of masters of the the quick hit 
uh, bits of entertainment in the 8 and 16-bit era. Okay, I think I've covered everything I want to talk about. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap this section up? No, no, I'm good. I've, uh, haven't, like I said, I haven't had much much chance to play stuff, but uh, it is my birthday weekend this weekend, so there might be f- some free video games or money to put toward free video games in my future. So, <laughs> so maybe I'll have some maybe I'll have some good news next week if the birthday gods are listening. Wink, wink, dead cells. Wink, wink, Torna. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, if not, I'm sure we'll hear more about your Mega Man suffering. All right, let's take a short break there, and then we'll come back with our discussion of Konami. See you in a moment. Welcome back. For our third segment, as regular listeners will know, we pick a topic to talk about of some description. Um, last week we all got all a bit serious, um, so we wanted to keep things we, we wanted to keep things reasonably lighthearted today. So we're going to talk about Konami. Um, however, we don't want to focus too much on sort of the 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 negative side of modern Konami and fuck Konami and all that. So we want to kind of celebrate the the cool stuff that they've done in the past because. Whatever you might think of Konami now, uh, there is little denying that they are sort of a, a defining figure in uh, the games industry as it was growing up and reaching maturity. So, um, Chris here is probably a little bit more familiar with their early days than I am. So, I'm going to um, defer to Chris for the moment to, to lead this discussion. So, <laughs> take it away. Take it away. All righty. Well, uh, I wanted to talk about this today for a couple reasons. Um, the The main reason is that Konami is f- becoming slightly more relevant uh, in the news again. Um, who knows what can cause this, right? We could like sit around and speculate, but but I feel like just like maybe they hired someone new or or promoted someone from below that actually cares about their history because mm-hmm. there's some really interesting stuff happening, right? Obviously, we've got the Castlevania um, re-release of Symphony yes. of the Night and Rondo of Blood coming out at the end of this month for the PS4. Yep. Um, I'll stay my tongue about how angry I am that it's going to have the PSP localization and there's no Dime on you don't belong in this world um so disappointed i it's, so disappointed. it's heresy it's he- but at least as we mentioned last time um a new generation of people will have a- an affordable way to access rondo of blood which is a very yes. difficult game to play affordably and a very beautiful game mm-hmm. um, and of course symphony Knights, the best video game ever made so um great um besides that um People have noticed this week that the Suikoden official website, which Konami, which no one has touched or updated in many, many years, is has got some activity on it. So there's a lot of speculation going around that perhaps maybe Suikoden 1 and 2 will be getting some nice remaster treatment in the same mm-hmm. way Symphony of the Night is. Um, everyone's kind of doubtful that we're going to get a new Suikoden because we said we weren't going to bash konami but they don't really make video games anymore so it's, I, it's highly doubtful that we're going to get a new suikoden but some remasters would be really great because that series has some real ardent fans um and most recently getting me excited was for mobile phones konami released quite rather quietly uh a game called pixel puzzle collection um, which is just Picross. It's standard Picross, but all just classic Konami 8-bit sprites. 
Um, it is a hundred percent free to play, and by that I mean also no microtransactions. Oh, awesome! It's so it's just a game you can have and play at your leisure, and like who doesn't want Picross on the go? Um, I kind of downloaded it cynically, but have ended up really just enjoying it all week long because it's a really adorable kind of tribute to Konami history. Um, for a free game, the production values are quite high, um, and the the puzzles are categorized by either game or game category. So like, there's a whole Castlevania category, and they'll throw a puzzle at you, and they'll say, this is a puzzle from Castlevania, this is a puzzle from Gradius, this is a puzzle from our history of action games. Um, the, there's great music from classic Konami games that play as you work on the puzzles, and it's just a really refreshing, really fun distraction. And um, the, the historical aspect of it just kind of got me thinking about how in kind of integral Konami was to my youth. Um, I, Castlevania is my favorite franchise of all time. Like, peer, mm-hmm. like period. I, I, I keep my Castlevania games on a separate shelf. <laughs> you, you know, like, <laughs> I, I love Castlevania. Um, and I think a lot of people do, obviously. Um, and there's just a lot of Konami franchises that are precious to a lot of people. Um, so I just kind of wanted to take some time to kind of talk about some Konami memories and, and what franchises and games we played that were important to us growing up that Konami had a hand in. Um, you know, I'll kind of flip the script on you from last week, and I've, I've prepared some interview questions to see how huh. you feel about classic Konami. So Excellent. Just, just broadly, Pete, what are some of your associations with classic Konami? I, for instance, associate classic Konami with a very specific kind of very frenetic side-scroller. Mm-hmm. Um, like the like the old run and gun formula, like Contra kind of thing. So that yeah. that's kind of in my head always what Konami is associated with. So kind of for you, what what do you think of when you think of Konami in the classic mold? Well, like I've like I said a few times, sort of the the eight and sixteen bit area. Certainly the eight and sixteen bit area. I was very much a computer gamer rather than a console gamer. Sure. It wasn't until sort of the sort of mid to late SNES era. Um, and then into the PlayStation and N64 that I, I started really getting into console games and Japanese games in the, as an extension. Um, I still came into contact with a few Konami games, though. Um, Castlevania is one that I came into contact with very early, the first one. Um, I When I first came into contact with that, it was on... Um, let me see if I can remember. It was, it was my parents' friends daughter's nes um <laughs> and we, we we were visiting them for a weekend and they basically uh shunted me and the various other kids who were in attendance for this dinner party or whatever was going on and we just went off and played the 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 nes for a little while and one of the games that we played was castlevania um at the time i was sort of too young to be really aware of things like uh, who developed and published games and that sort of thing so I, I didn't have an awareness that this was a Konami game as such, but uh, it was it was a game that left a strong impact on me. Um, the time uh, that I probably became most aware of Konami and started associating things with them would be the Super NES era. Mm. Uh, so, so anytime someone says Konami to me now, I think of the little Konami splash screen on the from the SNES era. You know where the star goes across, and as the purple line goes down the screen, it goes. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like the Konami I want to talk about today is the orange double ribbon Konami. That's what I call yes. it. Like that, that logo that would fill in. Yeah, that's Konami yeah. to me. Yeah, so so when some when someone says Konami to me, that is what I think of, and normally almost immediately afterwards, I I think of something like um, the Turtles game. 
Yeah, so, oh, yeah. So, so something, something like Turtles in Time on the uh, Super NES is is probably sort of peak Konami for me. Uh, I, I did play stuff like uh, like Gradius 3 I played on the Super NES. I didn't play any of the previous ones. Uh, I didn't play Contra until much, much later. So like, I never played Contra or, or what did they call it over here? Super Probotector. Yeah, I always forget about Probotector. Yeah, I'm always a little um, jealous because the sprites are all like sweet, like mecha dudes in Pro Protector. <laughs> like, I never quite understood why that change was made. No, I don't really know either. I it, it must have just been something to do with sort of the way Nintendo was at the time. It's and like military cool. violence or whatever. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't explain why why America then got that because Nintendo Nintendo of America was far worse with that sort of thing at the time than Europe was. I think so. It's surprising that they got the sort of military action and we got the 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 sweet ass mecha suits, but. Uh, yeah, so either way, that was that was not a game that I was particularly familiar with until much, much later, so sort of well after it was a, a current game. Um, so yeah, it, it answers the question. I think I think that 16-bit Konami logo is the thing I most readily associate with them. It closely the followed, yeah, closely followed by belt scrolling beat-em-ups, I think. Yeah, well, that's the thing too, right? Like we talked about last episode we talked pretty much about you know the capcom belt scrolling beat em up bundle and how much you're enjoying mm-hmm. that but like capcom and uh konami were basically head to head during that era like in the arcades so you know every, a lot of people think about final fight and stuff but then right side by side with final fight and all capcom's output there was konami with a mm-hmm. lot of the classics that we associate with the genre right so the turtles games obviously um the simpsons Mm-hmm. The Simpsons yeah. is legendary. That beat 'em up game with the four-player yeah. cabinet. Uh, also, the you, X- the X Men one. Yeah, I tell you one they made that never gets talked about, but was my absolute favorite game for a long time. Literally, any time I walked into an arcade, it was there. I had to play it, and that was the Asterix arcade game. Oh yeah, see, that's not um, Asterix is like non-existent in the US. Yes, exactly because because Asterix is such a it's such a European thing. It's very very French. Um, yeah, that, that, but the arcade game for that was outstanding. It was mm-hmm. so good. It, it had such good mechanics. It had these gorgeous big sprites that just captured the spirits of the of the comic absolutely perfectly. And yeah, that was that was one of my absolute favorite arcade games for the longest time. Asterix games in general would make a really good topic to talk about. It's not something I could. <laughs> it's not something I could speak about from ex, from any expertise. But it, it, legendarily, like. Asterix games have a history of being quite good. Mm-hmm. There's the there's actually uh, HD remasters of the previous ones, uh, the PS2 series trilogy yes. coming out very soon for the PS4, um, which I hope maybe makes its way to the US because I'd be very interested to check them out. They're kind of legendarily nice. That's mm-hmm. a little that's a little off topic though. Um, so so your kind of associations with classic Konami sound like they're fairly similar to mine. These Castlevania Gradius. Um, so um, even going into the modern era, then, you know, opening things up to PS1, PS2, uh, do you have a favorite specific, a, f- a favorite Konami game that, that kind of makes you think of them fondly? If we're talking specifically about PS1 era, uh, Simpsons of the Night, definitely. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I, I liked Metal Gear, uh, but, but Symphony of the Night was just something that, that really... It pushed on my buttons in all the right ways. It had great music. It had lovely pixel art. It was a game that I actually uh, sort of found myself having to kind of defend a bit at the time, because my uh, a, a lot of my friends were very much uh, of the attitude that 
new consoles needed to use all the latest new technology as yeah. much as possible. So everything needed to be 3D, even if 3D was crap at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I found myself having to kind of defend Symphony of the Night a bit just because it was a 2D side-scroller that was sort of a genre that a lot of my friends had assumed had been left in the past with the 16-bit era. But I, I, I sat them down and said, look, no, play this. This is really good. And they were like, oh, yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, yeah it, there, there was an initial amount of resistance to that that, that kind of surprised me a bit. And I, I even felt a bit of it myself. I, I don't know how much of that was just down to um, sort of childish stupidity or if any of that was actually influenced by um, things like the magazines at the time trying to push the latest technology and so on. But yeah, I, I, I recall um, picking that game up for the first time and thinking, mm, should, should, should I be playing a game like this on the, on the PlayStation? Um, but yeah, it didn't take take me long to get over that. So, definitely one of my favorites. I, I, that game is immortal. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, growing up, I didn't even really like Castlevania that much. Like mm-hmm. as a kid, I, I kind of found them a bit too hard, and I didn't really enjoy them. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really understand what Castlevania was trying to achieve because um, the older Castlevanias, like specifically the eight bit ones, they have a very distinct rigidity to them. Yes, um, like your your jump and your ability to not really control yourself during a jump, uh, the, the very slow plodding pace of the character's movement. Uh, it's all designed in a very specific way. And um, as a kid, being a huge fan of like Mega Man and Mario, I was used to games with a more kinetic sense of movement. So I often found it hard to wrap my head around Castlevania when I was younger. So. Uh, much of my life, I grew up not caring for Castlevania, and then um, I, during the PS1 era, I had a friend invite me over, and like he was playing Symphony of the Night, and I, I was like, "What is this? I, I'd never experienced anything like this before." And he were like, "Oh, well, this is the new Castlevania." And then at that, you know, at that point, I was in my teens, and then it kind of forced me to retrospectively go back and rediscovered the series thanks to symphony of the night and now it's Mm -hmm. pretty much my night like i said my favorite franchise of all time yeah Um, and that's thanks to symphony of the night spurring me on to 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 revisit what that series meant to me yeah and now i'm I'm one of those weirdos who just spends all night trying to like connect timelines like figure out how how all the games go together uh I, I will mention that Symphony of the Night was um, the beginning of a rather strange period in uh, European releases of uh, Konami games, or specifically Castlevania games, in that uh, for several years and sort of halfway into the next generation of consoles, Konami just either forgot or just chose not to put any of the subtitles on Castlevania games. So they are all called Castlevania. <laughs> oh, just just Castlevania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you buy you buy Symphony of the Night on PlayStation. It's called Castlevania. You buy Castlevania sixty four. It's called Castlevania. You buy the Game Boy Advance one, whatever it's called, Circle of the Moon or whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's called Castlevania. The first PS two Castlevania game is just called Castlevania. <laughs> That's bizarre. I have no idea why they did that. For the for the second PS two game, they did actually start putting these subtitles back in, and for the later. Um, sort of DS versions. We again, we started getting the subtitles again. But for a significant period of time, every single Castlevania game in Europe was called Castlevania. That's, that's, that's <laughs> really weird. I had no idea about that. Wow, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So um, Castlevania, lovely um, Contra, obviously lovely. Um, did you ever play the PS2 Contra games? 
Um, again, recently, I actually picked up uh, the P- the PS2 one, Shattered Soldier, is it, I think? Yeah, that's the first one. That's the side-scroller one. Yes, yeah. So I, I picked that up recently and gave it a go and uh, got absolutely obliterated by it, but had a good time in the process. It's a great it, game. It, yeah, it's a great game. It's really fun, but it's really difficult as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I've really enjoyed that. I didn't play it back in the day, but I have discovered that one recently, much like sort of the rest of the Contra series. As I say, that's not one that I particularly grew up with, but it's one that I familiarized myself a bit with since, and I really like that PS2 one. I quite recommend Contra 4 for the 3D and uh, for the regular DS too, uh, that which is developed by WayForward. Oh yes, yes. Um, that's a great game. Um, you know, uh, one of the reasons I, of course, love Konami is because I love Treasure. And uh, to for people who aren't super into Treasure history, um, Treasure, of course, was born from Konami. Um, the story being that uh, Treasure, uh, the people who founded Treasure, were just tired of working for a bigger publisher um, and not being. They were tired of basically making sequels and retreads. Like they didn't want to mm-hmm. make. An, they didn't want to make another Castlevania. They didn't want to make another Contra. They wanted to make weird shit. So, so many of the older Konami games that we love were worked on by people who became Treasure. So you yeah. can you can kind of run a through line through some of Konami's best output in those early days and make a direct connection from those games to things like Gunstar Heroes. Okay. Um, uh, Rocket Knight Adventures is one of my all-time favorite side-scrollers for the Genesis slash Mega Drive. Uh, you know, that's a great one. Uh, Konami's some of Konami's licensed work was quite good. Uh, some of the side scrollers they did based on uh, Warner Brothers Tiny Toon Adventures. Oh yes, yes, um, I remember those. Those were all worked on people who would become treasure. Uh, great stuff. Um, Gradius obviously defined, um, you know, difficult. Uh, side-scrolling shooters, right, right alongside our type for many mm-hmm. years, um, and uh, help. They also helped define the cute 'em up genre with the Parodia series. Mm-hmm. Uh, all wonderful stuff. Uh, Konami now owns Hudson, uh, yeah. but they've always been kind of close. Um, one of the games I always joke about with people is. Um, you know, everyone's super excited, me included, about Simon Belmont and Richter Belmont being in the new Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the PS2 and GameCube era, there was actually a uh, Smash Brothers-style arena fighter called Dream Mix TV Fighters. And, and it had Castlevania, it had Simon Belmont in it. Oh, wow. And it was, it, that. yeah, Dream Mix TV Fighters, and it was uh, Takara, the toy company, uh, Hudson, and Konami. Oh wow! So it was possible to have a Smash Brothers style match between Simon Belmont, Bomberman, the werewolf from Bloody Roar, and Optimus Prime. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, Konami has done some really weird, experimental, and fun stuff throughout their history. Um, most of my deepest associations with their work are with the Mega Drive specifically. Um, mm-hmm. Things like, as I mentioned, Rocket Knight Adventures. Uh, I believe Contra Hardcore on the Genesis is the best Contra game because uh, yeah. it's also kind of the goofy tongue-in-cheek one where like everything's like I know it's hard to say like it's the Contra where everything's insane because like <laughs> con- con- Contra is insane, but like 
Contra Hardcore is the one with, that's a little goofier because you can be a werewolf with a Gatling gun for an arm. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, Goemon is a beautiful franchise that has. Oh yeah, dis- that was them, wasn't it? Yeah. Was, that, that's one of those series that that I love, but I I always forget who was behind it. Yeah. Total classic Konami. Did you, which yeah. one did you you play those back in the day? I play I play my first contact with it was actually emulating the Super NES version. Oh okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but but this this was sort of back in like uh, late 90s early 2000s and so on. Uh, and then I I went out and bought the N64 version. Mm-hmm. That was which, my initial exposure to yeah. the series was the N64 ones. The N64 one is such a fun game. Uh, I mean it it is a game that shows the importance of localization because it has so many jokes that don't land because they didn't localize them properly. Yeah so yeah the, yeah. The, so there'll, there'll be a bit of dialogue, and then there'll be some canned laughter at it. And you're like, "What are they laughing at?" That it wasn't <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that game was worth playing just for its for its characters, and it it played really well. It had great music uh, and the songs, all the songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, going on uh, for the non-history buffs is uh, in the West, Mystical Ninja. I don't. Well, were they going on for you guys in the UK? Or, did, um, or were they I Mystical think, Ninja? I think they were they were Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know if it was the same for you, but yeah, yeah. So th- those are those also classic Konami. So I mean, they've had their hands in so much over the years. So I mean, that's why I think people get so depressed <laughs> about modern Konami is because they were yeah. a, a fun experimental house making really all kinds of different stuff. For a very, very long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we start looking um, a little bit further forward into like the PS2 era and so on, if you start looking at what they were doing with things like Metal Gear and Silent Hill as well, mm-hmm. um, those are, I mean, they, they're sort of less regarded as particularly weird these days. But like Metal Gear 2, for example, that was a ballsy move at the time, the way they handled that. Oh, yeah. Um, just because of, of of things like everyone was expecting a whole sequel with Solid Snake, they went up, uh, they went so far as releasing a demo where you were playing a Solid Snake, and it turns out that was just the the first bit of the game. The rest of the game you were playing as this complete other dude. That was that was incredibly ballsy at the time, considering how well established Solid Snake was as a character at that point. Um, and then we had uh, Silent Hill 2 in particular, which um, was really a very early example of people coming to understand that it was possible for games to tackle mature themes in a way that wasn't explicit. That it really was, was a landmark game, Silent yeah. Hill 2, in a lot of ways. So it was it was probably one of, one of the first examples of a game, I remember reading some writing about it, that where people were actually analysing it and picking apart picking it apart as if it was um sort of is uh, something from a more established medium so they're picking like apart a like film a, like, a, like a like a movie or a book or so on yeah absolutely so they were they were exploring the themes of it what things might be representing in it and that was yeah i i, I read that and that was like yeah this this is remarkable this is a really special game and silent hill 2 i have very fond memories of just because i i enjoyed the first one a, a great deal and played it a lot on the ps1 um silent hill 2 uh, my first contact with it was when i was at university and some friends from back where i used to live came to visit uh, and one of them brought his copy of silent hill 2 with him 
Uh, I hadn't picked it up yet because I was I was waiting for like student loan money or something like that uh, to be able to pick it up myself. But he came along. He brought Silent Hill 2 with him. Uh, we were going to have an evening of eating curry, getting drunk and playing Silent Hill 2. Uh, what actually ended up <laughs> happening is he got so drunk he passed out in the chair in the corner of the room and I played all of the way through Silent Hill 2 in one night. And he, he sort of woke up as the credits were rolling. He was like, what what happened? <laughs> it's like I'm not going to recap the entire game. <laughs> but yeah, that, that game was just so compelling to me at the time that I I, I just had to play, play it through all in one go. And it's it's a game that has stuck with me ever since. It's, it's, it's one of the few games that I regularly go back and replay. Uh, for various reasons just because mm-hmm. it's, it, it is it is special to me um i i know we've got sort of loose plans to uh maybe have a, a sort of vaguely horror themed episode towards the end of the month so I, I won't say too much more about that now but yeah silent hill 2 has always been a game that's been really special to me and yeah obviously that's that's a big part of uh, my feelings for konami yeah oh absolutely i remember um you know, when the PS2 was in its heyday, I was working at a, like a small independently owned game shop nearby, and uh, we were lucky enough to have another employee uh, working at the shop who was Japanese. His name was Jim, and he was like a first generation Japanese immigrant, was f- like fluent, and he played mostly imports, like he imported yeah. games. Um, and I just remember Jim getting his import copy of Silent Hill 2 and just all of us like jim and like the three other guys who worked at that shop being just like super transfixed by like <laughs> like not having ever really seen anything like this before mm. and like you know like, like the radio and and just just the game in general just being yeah so uh you know sweet golden uh, i don't know are you are you a sweet golden fan I, I have no familiarity with Suikoden whatsoever. Um, it, it is a series that I didn't even become aware of until relatively recently, probably sort of the last five or ten years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had no contact with it in sort of the PS1 and PS2 eras. Uh, that is, it is one of the series that it did have some installments actually came out over here. Uh, it's just one that I never had any contact with for one reason or another. So it, I, I, I know nothing about it. Me neither. It, it never really landed with me. Um, I, I own a couple of them and, I, and I've and I've played them kind of for ten or twelve hours and it never it's never a series that really sunk with me, mm-hmm. but I, I just know that the the fan base is rabid like people are really passionate about that series. Yeah. Um, my only real love of Suikoden is the opening cinematic of Suikoden Three. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen this <laughs> or heard the music. I highly recommend checking it out because it's absolutely beautiful. Um, this was also during a time when I worked at that game shop, and we used to have uh, we used to have a theory that just like you know we used to just say like putting Sweet Golden Three on like loop all day was like good luck, <laughs> and we would put Sweet Golden Three and let that demo loop run of that opening cinematic, and I would sell like five or six copies of that a night just based on like the beauty of that opening cinematic. Um. Yeah. So, so yes, we go to, um particularly on the PS2. Konami was a really interesting company to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really love that game that Koji Igarashi made that wasn't Castlevania, uh, Nano Breaker. Oh yeah, yep. A, a lot of people either hated that or just forget that it exists. But it was just a really cool 3D action platformer with uh, really neat combo mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not really something you get these days. Yeah. It is, it's just a 
off-the-wall new 3D action game. Not a franchise, not anything serious, just this is an idea for next week, and then it gets made. Yeah. And it's fun, and mm-hmm. it's cool, and you never hear from it again, but it's a cool game to have in your collection to revisit. Hmm. I tell you what else from the PS2 era that I, I always forget is done by Konami, which is actually the first game I bought on the PS2, which is Shadow of Memories. Oh yeah. Um, which yeah, that is another game that is is very special to me. It's one of, one of the few games I think I've actually still got my original copy of that I bought back in the day. Um, but it was yeah, it was the first game I bought on the PS2. Um, I mentioned back on the Nintendo DS episode that one of the things I've I, I liked to do with new consoles from probably the PS2 era onwards is uh, pick a game that no one was talking about and have that as my first game for it. Uh, and in the case of the PS2, that game was Shadow of Memories, which uh, for the unfamiliar is a it's basically an a, adventure game. So it's not survival horror, it's not an action game, it is a straight up adventure game. So uh, you play the role of this guy called Ike, um, who lives in a German town, um, and he keeps getting murdered in each chapter. And the, the aim of each chapter is to use this time traveling device that you get provided by this thing called Homunculus that is voiced by Charles Martinet, of all people. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, you have to travel through time and basically stop your own murder. And the ways you do this become increasingly elaborate as the game goes through. So, um, in sort of the first chapter, you're just sort of going back a few minutes and, and stopping someone being in the place they were going to be when they were going to kill you. Uh, but as you progress through the game, you start moving through several different time periods. So, going right back into sort of uh, the medieval time. Um, and sort of affecting things that were happening back there and then there's this whole complicated meta plot to do with like the philosopher's stone and stuff like that so it was a really fascinating game at the time and it was um i was just sort of getting really interested in the potential of games to tell stories at the time so i was coming off the back of the the early final fantasy games and very plot heavy jrpgs in the ps1 era and i was sort of on a real high for narrative based games uh, at, at the time the ps2 came along and for a game to come out that was essentially nothing but narrative at the time was really, really fascinating to me. And it's it's a game I still enjoy today. Obviously, if, you, if you're the kind of person who enjoys a bit more in the way of sort of um, gameplay and sort of actual direct interaction with the world and combat and that sort of thing, it's not something you will necessarily enjoy. But if you like um, the sort of traditional Japanese adventure game experience, then yeah, it's it's very well worth having a look at. And like I say, it's uh, it's... One of my favorite PS2 games. Yeah, that's a really neat game, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's there's a bit of a following for that too. There was a re-release of it recently on one of the handheld platforms. I can't remember. They did, they did a PSP version. Yeah, that's um, the one I'm thinking about. In 2010, from the oh, look of things. I guess that's not um, recently then. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's eight years ago now. You know. Jesus. Like I say, I booted up Fatal Frame um, Project Zero the other day, and it said copyright 2001. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Mm. Well, uh, one of my first PS2 games was a Konami game too. Um, when I bought my PS2, I got two. I got three games. Um, I got Mobile Suit Gundam: Journey to Jabrow, because mm-hmm. like holy crap, a Gundam game on new new platform with new graphics i had to get it uh mm-hmm. armored core 2 yep um so giant robots again um and the ps2 on the ps2 konami had released uh gradius 3 and 4 
like a, a oh, one yes. a one yes. di- it's a it was a compilation disc of a 3D remake of Gradius 3 and then Gradius 4 um together on one disc and it was early PS2 right so this wasn't even a DVD game it was one of the uh, blue bottom yeah. CD based games mm-hmm. but yeah so one of my first PS2 games was as well a Konami game you go it's infiltrated our gaming life ever since the beginning from the look of things even without us knowing in some cases mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I don't have too much else just kind of wanted to have a little discussion about you know historically how konami has tied into our identity in terms of what consoles we've enjoyed their games on and kind of what we associate them with yeah uh, yeah, definitely. And I think an important thing to highlight is that although, you know, people don't think a lot of Konami these days for, for all sorts of reasons, it doesn't stop any of their back catalogue being any 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 less noteworthy and that kind of thing. So yeah. the, these games will always be special regardless of what the company might have become these days. So Yeah, very important to remember. But like I said, they've been weird in like the past couple couple months and like who knows what's going on there because i've i've even found the existence of uh, you know bomberman yeah i mean the new bomberman isn't great like let's uh-huh. th- let's throw that out there it's kind of clunky it's not great but just the fact that like when the switch came out it was like hey when the switch launches let's let's you know go into our hudson properties that we own like let's make sure there's a proper bomberman and over the years, they've released that on the PS4 now, also available, and they've done a really cool job of supporting it with um, updates, new characters. Many of those new characters are uh, history tribute characters. So, like, they've added a Vic Viper bomber, hearkening back to Gradius, um, yeah. uh, Simon Belmont bomber and an Alucard bomber, like Castlevania characters. Uh, I think Pyramid Head, there's a Pyramid Head bomber from Silent Hill. <laughs> so, like someone in konami gets it yeah and i mean they uh in japan there's the bomber girl arcade game as well isn't there oh yeah that looks uh, like it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah so that that came out i thought that had been out for a lot longer than it has but it only came out at the end of august from the look of things oh okay um yeah i, I was under the impression that had been out for a while but uh yeah hopefully we'll we'll see something to do with with that at some point because that that does look like a lot of fun um but yeah yeah they, they they're obviously still doing things with some of these franchises it just seems less less than them being a bad company at the moment i think they just they just seem to be having a bit of an identity crisis and yeah, sort of not not fair. really knowing not really knowing what to do with how gaming is these days and that's sort of understandable because gaming in 2018 is such a broad thing now with with your mobile games at one end of things and sort of high-end pc games at the other and console games in that middle ground and handheld games and tv connected games and online games and all sorts there's just there's just so many different directions a company like that can go in it's in a way i kind of i kind of don't blame them for being a bit confused as to what to do with some it's, of these diff- properties. it's very difficult uh, my, they, I, my buddies and i keep talking about um I, I don't think capcom realizes what it's done with Mega Man 11 in like in a lot of ways i think Mega Man 11 might be a linchpin for how these companies treat their classic characters and if Mega Man 11 is very successful it might send a message mm. you can kind of feel capcom dipping their toes in this now with the Mega Man legacy collections and the x collections and now 
11 uh, a brand new mega man and yeah. there's there's been rumblings that uh, a new x might happen if 11 is successful mm-hmm. and my you know my friends and i keep saying well with the way konami's been dipping back into these historical updates for bomberman this pixel puzzle collection now the castlevania it feels a little bit like what Capcom just did with the Mega Man yeah. collections. So if stuff like Mega Man 11 proves to be successful, you know, any of these large publishers, all they need is for someone to come with a proposal that proves it's going to make money. Yeah. All it takes is for something like Mega Man 11 to be successful for some 30-something you and I's age who works in Konami to put a proposal together and say, hey, look, Capcom sold a couple million copies of this. The Western market ate this up. Give me a $500,000 budget. Let's make a new 2.5D Castlevania and put it up on the yeah. PlayStation Network. Like that's yeah. really all it takes is for that the proof to be that the money is there and the audience is there. Oh, 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 oh! Castlevania just reminded me. Can I just mention how much I love the Castlevania game that everyone hates that isn't Lords of Shadow, which is the 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 Time Attack arcade style one on XBLA and PSN? Oh, that I game's fu- really cool. I fucking love that game so much. Uh, I, but I can never remember what it's called. It's either Harmony of Dissonance or Harmony of Despair. It's har- because, yeah, Harmony of Dissonance, I think. Because because one of those is a DS game and the other one is, is the game I'm talking about. Um, let, 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 let me look it up. But yeah, I, I really, really love that game. And it's 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 one that the people who love that game, they, they really love it. But then a lot of people at the time were like, ooh, this isn't Castlevania. I don't like it very much. Um, but yeah, I didn't like it because of how like kind it kind of had some too much microtransactions from my liking but but like mechanically yeah. mechanically it was a really unique idea like i was yeah. behind it 100 percent. it would have been nice to have a complete package of that at some point which is as far as i know never happened uh, it's harmony of despair by the way not harmony of distance oh, okay um but um yeah it, it would have been nice to have a complete package because yeah the, the way it was sold you had i think five levels built into it and then there was like another five or six levels you could buy as dlc and then there were characters you could buy for it i mean to be fair it did often go on sale so you could get like each of those things for like 20p in some cases but uh yeah it would still be nice to have a complete package of that at some point oh i i would love to see a re-release of it to be honest on modern platforms and yeah get people playing multiplayer again give me a I, ps4 I, physical disc with yeah. everything i would yeah, buy that immediately and i would pay for i would pay for ps plus to be able to play that with you yeah, like, I, I, I was going to say, I, I only played it multiplayer a couple of times, but it was great fun. Uh, really, really good fun. It's got a gear loop too, right? Like yeah, There's, there's yeah. very much like a collecting items, like collecting gear and weapons. Like It's the kind of thing I could really sink my teeth into if I could find people to reliably play it with. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I, it's, sorry, I just wanted to bring that up. You no, that's, that's up a really then... cool game. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, glad you did. This, I, I, this... I forget that exists all the time. I, th- I think this is an interesting thing about Konami, though, because like when you mentioned talking about Konami, I was just like, "Oh, do I know anything by Konami?" But like, just as we've been having this discussion, I've just been thinking, "Oh, yeah, I really like that game, and that's Konami as well, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. Bizarre, bizarre. Why don't I remember any of this stuff until we sort of actively have a discussion about it? It's amazing Strange. how that happens. Um, you know, people forget about their presence in the music games. Yes, um, I yes. mean, let's let's not forget that. Um, Guitar Hero is conceptually based on Konami's Guitar Freaks. Mm-hmm. 
like Konami invented the plastic instruments genre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the entire Bimani series, Dance Dance Revolution, uh, Beat Mania, and Poppin' Music. Yeah. This is all Konami. By the way, don't ever play the Wii version of Poppin' Music. It is fucking awful. Is it? <laughs> no, I, I, listen. I, where I come from, RE Poppin' Music is like the hardest of the hardcore. Like, I knew a guy who had like his own custom home-built pop like arcade cabinet full-size pop and music controller yeah like i don't know if you've ever seen that like yeah yeah i I mean yeah i've seen the lengths that people go to for that let me tell you the probably the wii version um so you know pop and music is sort of based on sort of having those lovely big buttons and stuff yeah 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 right imagine imagine if you will imagine that experience without the buttons you've already lost me Mm. Imagine that experience where instead of pressing the button, you have to wave either the Wii Remote or the Nunchuck in a particular direction. And this was pre-Motion Plus era, so it doesn't register your directions very well. That is why pop and music for the Wii is very, very bad indeed. However, if if you get a chance to play the Game Boy versions, those are amazing. Are they really? Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of them, and they're really really cool. So, yeah, be sure to check them out. There's like there's like a Disney themed one, and there's this one with just sort of these really cool chip tunes in it. So yeah, if you have a chance to either dig those out or emulate them, then give them a look. They're surprisingly good. Now, are they for the like the original Game Boy and Game Boy yeah. Color, like old no. old old, not like not uh, Game Boy Ga- Advance? Game Boy Color, I think. I'm just okay. Look through my library now. I'm pretty sure they're Game Boy Color. Uh, See, that's cool. I didn't know, but yeah, so. Once again, like the more you think about it, the more something Konami had its hands in will will, will pop up yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Game Boy Color, they are. There's there's even, three from the look of things. Even I think old school dating sims. I think they're. I think they were like legendarily. I think the old Tokimeki memorials were. Yes, they were, were Konami. Jesus. Jesus, what is going on? <laughs> right, because yes. like Tokimeki yeah. Memorial is one of like the quintessential. Like pro, like early dating sims, like yeah, a, like a st- establish the notion of like dating sims also with like gamic elements, like like the like the girlfriend raising dating sim where like stats were involved. Yes, and that was Konami. Yep, yeah, that dates right back to PC Engine. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, worth worth talking about. Good old yeah. Kon- good old Konami. All right. Well, I don't have too much else <laughs> about you. I, yeah, I, th- I think we've covered a, a good amount of ground there. And uh, yeah, I'm just sort of left a bit reeling from <laughs> the much, revelation. Yeah, from just how much stuff out there that I've always been either been interested in or I've always really enjoyed playing is actually Konami stuff, perhaps without me even realizing in some cases. So mm-hmm. there you go. There's a lesson for you all there. Fuck Konami, yeah. am I right? <laughs> yeah, right? Boo. No. Like, seriously. Yeah. Perhaps if we continue to be nice to them. <laughs> like. Nice? Some... On the internet in 2018? Shh. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. We live in a world where I just bought a new Mega Man game. Can we please just talk about the fact that we live in a world where I just bought a new Mega Man game? Mm-hmm. It's pretty I'm, special. I'm emboldened with the idea that anything can happen right now. Yep. So, so I choose hope. 
well i think that's probably <laughs> probably a good note to end this podcast on leave everybody feeling happy and good about it yeah all right let's wrap up in our usual way chris do you want to tell people where to find you online and commission you and pay you money to do lovely artwork i do like getting money to do lovely artwork i uh all my artwork can be found on mrgilderpixels.com m-r-g-i-l-d-e-r-p-i-x-e-l-s also uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as Mr. Gilder Pixels. I also recently have launched a Facebook page, which is Mr. Gilder Pixels page. So you can also follow me and comment on there. Uh, I am currently working on a Bowsette piece, which I'm quite happy with how it's turning out. Yes. So, so uh, <laughs> by the time I finish it, no one will actually remember what Bowsette is because it takes me forever. But it is turning out well and i'm sharing work in progress as i'm doing it so i would love to hear from everybody while i'm doing that it's got a fine pair of boobies everyone's gonna love it regardless if they remember bowser or not listen i've been drawing for a very long time and these are by far the finest breasts i've ever drawn i'm quite happy about (laughs) it good work right as always, you can find me on moegamer.net, writing about Japanese games, visual novels, retro games, and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, elsewhere on YouTube, you can find my Atari A to Z series that I've mentioned previously, covering both the Atari 8-bit and Atari ST. Uh, you can also find an archive of all those videos and some other bits and pieces on Atari A to Z.wordpress.com. And you can find my write-ups on Philips G7000, Video Pack Games, Magnavox Odyssey 2 Games, to you people in the States, uh, over on Video Pack Day... Video Pack Dames? Video Pack Games.wordpress.com. Now you have to make that website. Video Pack Dames? This, and, we'll, this... and I'll do, and I'll do like, Gaijinka versions of, like, all the different <laughs> Video Pack. You know, like, there's, he, a dis- like, there's a like, disappointing lack of female representation in video pack games from 1978, don't you know? Like, I'll make, like, Casey Munchkin Chan. <laughs> don't. Don't. I'll like it too much, and then I'll feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's Pick leave Axe, that there. Pickaxe Pete Chan. Come on. <laughs> With a little miner hat on. Someone's probably done it somewhere already. Yeah, it's true. <sighs> anyway. Thank you very much for listening and or watching, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.